for that. We will continue on in the book of Daniel. Uh, we are up to Daniel chapter 4 uh, as we continue with Nebuchadnezzar. And there will be some uh, a period of time that has passed between chapters 3 and 4. And we don't know exactly how much, but we assume that some time has passed. And uh, But just to get us caught up in where we are, uh, it was the, in chapter 3, uh, we ended with the... Uh, the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace and how God had made it perfectly clear that this is God's doing, that these three are saved. The uh, people throwing them into the fire burned, uh, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego unharmed. There's no trace of smoke even on them, not even the smell of fire. And there was that fourth person uh, in there is truly uh, an act of God and clear to Nebuchadnezzar what was going on. And as we start chapter 4, uh, it'll reflect that, the first few verses anyhow, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar understands this. Uh, but then uh, he'll have this vision, and we will take a look at this. It's Daniel chapter 4. Let me begin reading at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. 
Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heavens. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirits of the holy gods is in you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak truth into our hearts. Open our hearts that we may receive your truth. Hear it gladly and live it boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, and I had a friend who pretty much lived uh, by the saying, I want you to tell me the truth, but only if it's good. And you know people like that. You, you want to know the truth, but but only if it's good. Don't tell me the truth if it's not. And, and But you're always stuck, eventually, when you're around them long enough. What happens if I can't marry the truth with something good that you want to hear? We, we got a little conflict here. And what do we do with this? Uh, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, as we learn more about him, he's, he's much like this. Um, he wants the truth, but only if it's good. And then he doesn't really care for it. Now, you may have noticed as, as we've been reading through this, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, it's, it's his voice all of a sudden here in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, notice that. He's, he's kind of taken the, the lead here and, and uh, whether he wrote it himself or had Daniel write it or if Daniel uh, came across this, uh, he, was, he, he read it from Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't really matter, but just uh, we'll note that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar, is, it, this is from his perspective, his point of view. And then there's this question of when was verses 1 through 3 written, or when were uh, verses 1 through 3 written? Uh, because it's this open letter of praise. Uh, and the chapter also ends with praise. But, but in the middle, we get something just a little bit different. And, and so it seems... Uh, to some people that, that maybe Nebuchadnezzar added this a little bit later after he had told the story, but, but that doesn't matter really either because it's put here for a purpose. We're to see this transition between what Nebuchadnezzar should know and then what happens, how he lives that. 
It's this contrast in attitude uh, that we see a little bit from Nebuchadnezzar. But he starts out with this open letter, and it's wonderful. He says a lot of really good things. It's, it's to all the people in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And, and uh, it's kind of, it seemed good to show uh, signs and, and wonders the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. Dominion endures from generation to generation. It's, it's beautiful, actually. And if anyone else in the Old Testament, or almost anyone else in the Old Testament, especially one of the prophets had said it, uh, you'd be really happy with this. Someone like Isaiah or King David or Ezekiel, if they'd written this, uh, it's, it's great. But when Nebuchadnezzar says it, there's a couple of things that tip us off that he's, he's thinking of something else. You notice what it is that really impresses him, the signs, the wonders that he has shown. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders, which isn't such a bad thing. It's great when we're impressed by God. But for Nebuchadnezzar, he's infatuated with power. He's infatuated with signs. And, and he's going to have a problem with God's power. Because he always does. He hasn't quite relinquished uh, there hasn't come to that point where he's willing to admit that God really, really is the God of all power. He has seen some great things, but he's still got a little ways to go. Sometimes there's a danger in seeing God's power. And the danger isn't in God or what he's doing. The danger is in us and how we interpret him. Because a lot of times we can adopt this, what have you done for me lately attitude. And we see signs and, and, and it's great sometimes when you pray a prayer and you know that God has answered that prayer and that is wonderful and we give him praise. But sometimes when a certain amount of time goes by, we, we can forget what God has done. We get focused on something else a little bit different. Or maybe we try to rationalize it. Well, maybe that wasn't quite what I thought it was. When it was, it was great and it was wonderful, but sometimes we get distracted by it and we forget the saving grace of God. Nebuchadnezzar has just seen, uh, and it might be some years that have passed, but he has seen the saving grace of God in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was a great thing, but as time passed, Nebuchadnezzar gets a little lethargic. He's forgotten. He's kind of put himself back on top again. And that's that transition from those first three verses when we go to verse four. Nebuchadnezzar is writing and says, I was at ease in my house. 
prospering in my past. There's a me again. My house. My past. He's at the height of his power as he writes this. He's enjoying the kingdom that he truly believes he deserves. He's built this kingdom. And we get this idea of, here we go again, Nebuchadnezzar. You haven't learned yet, have you? Daniel has told him point blank. God gives kingdoms. He establishes kingdoms and he takes them away. But here's Nebuchadnezzar at ease, my house, my palace. John Kelvin, in his commentary on the book of Daniel, he writes, When God, therefore, wishes to lead us to repentance, he is compelled to repeat his blows continually, either because we are not moved when he chastises us with his hand, or we seem roused for the time, and then we return to our former torpor. He is therefore compelled to redouble his blows. And there's where Nebuchadnezzar is. He's forgotten. It's his kingdom again. His palace. And then he sees this dream. And this dream makes him afraid. He is on his bed. And there's this vision that alarms him. You know, Proverbs 3.11 says, do not be, or not, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Well, Nebuchadnezzar hasn't learned that. Here he knows he's being reproved. He knows something's up, and he's terrified by it. And he makes this decree that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before him, the magicians, the enchanters, all of them. Tell him this dream. Your question might be, if we, as we've been following through Daniel, why would he go back to these people who have failed him before? Back in chapter 2, he had a vision, and they couldn't tell him anything. They couldn't tell him what the vision was. They couldn't tell him what it meant. Why go back to these guys? Some of the answers might be prejudice. I mean, here's Daniel. He is that Jewish guy. Uh, so maybe that's part of it. Maybe there's a little bit of guilt involved. He understands he's ignored Daniel's God. And, you know, Satan is very good at blackmailing us in our sin. When we sin a little, he'll blackmail us. And so we really won't do what's right, but kind of keep going on in our sin. And maybe it's a little bit of that. But I think a lot of what's going on is Nebuchadnezzar's heart hasn't changed. Uh, we see what he really believes here. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And I think Nebuchadnezzar is there. He's still in the flesh. And so he's hostile to Daniel and his God on a certain level. Because eventually he does have to go to Daniel. Once again, these guys who have let him down before fail him again. And so in verse 8, at last, Daniel comes in. 
he who is named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now Nebuchadnezzar is right about one thing. Daniel is the only one who's going to be able to tell him. But Nebuchadnezzar has horrible theology in all of this. And, and we see that he, he calls him Belteshazzar. Why, why mention this? This is the name that he had given Daniel. And, and the whole idea of in him is the spirit of the holy gods, this, this uh, polytheistic attitude. And earlier, Daniel had dismissed all of those. He said, they are nothing. There's one God. Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar still seems stuck in this way. And does he call Daniel the name of his God as some kind of honor? You just don't know what's going on in his mind. Is he grasping at some form of power? Still, I'm going to hang on to what little power I have here. I call him after the name of of one of my gods and remind Daniel that he's this exile from Judah and, and really I'm over him. He calls him the chief of magicians and lumps him in with the rest of them, perhaps probably to ease his conscience a little bit. One of my guys will get this right. It seems as we look at this as Nebuchadnezzar is is uh, debater is talking uh, with Daniel, uh, he's still fighting God. Even though he needs Daniel to interpret the dream, and I say that somewhat loosely, I'm not sure that he actually needs Daniel to interpret the dream. I think the problem isn't the interpretation, the problem is the understanding of it, because it's not good, but I don't think he likes what this dream or this vision is saying. He doesn't, he doesn't like the interpretation. And he's got some people here that are afraid to tell him the truth because when you look at this vision that he has, it's pretty obvious, actually. No, I'm not saying that God wouldn't have closed their minds. God certainly could have. But as we read it and understand some things that are going on, I think Nebuchadnezzar on some on level, level understands, understands the dream, he just doesn't, he just doesn't want to. And he's hoping and he's Daniel, Daniel will get him out of it somehow. It's a, somewhat of a distressing vision. He's in bed, and he sees this tree, and this tree grew strong. Its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the ends of the earth. It seems... It seems as though he should have figured out, or certainly the wise men should have figured out, that this is about a kingdom. And who's got the strongest kingdom going at one time? It's Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he had just been pondering what a great kingdom he has. That's how he started. I was thinking about this great kingdom I had. At ease in my palace. Reaching to the ends of a whole earth. And, and there's food for all of these, these animals there. And, and then he mentions in verse 13, and, and behold, a watcher, a, a holy one, came down from heaven. 
And, and I love the irony in all of that, too. And it, actually, there's a little bit of, a, of an echo from the Tower of Babel in this. Remember, they tried to build the Tower of Babel, and they tried to build it up to the heavens, but God came down to see it. They were building the, building the tallest thing they could. God had to head down. Here, Nebuchadnezzar has this kingdom. It's like a tree reaches up to the heavens, but yet this one from heaven has to come down to it. And he lops off the branches. Well, actually, he proclaimed uh, in verse 14, chop down the tree and lop off its branches and strip off its leaves and, and, and scatter its fruit. And then when we get to verse 15, notice there's a change in pronouns there. Let him be wet. And in verse 16, let his mind be changed from a man's and let the, the a beast's mind be given to him. And it gets a little more distressing for Nebuchadnezzar. Because now we've gone from a kingdom and it to a king. Him. And this king is coming down. And, and his, his mind changed, changed. And, and a beast's mind been given to him. Now, I will admit, that maybe would make anyone scratch their head, a beast's mind given to him. But the overall message seems pretty clear. There's a king, the most powerful king, and he's got this kingdom, and it's being shot down. And bad things are happening to this king. And then in verse 17, the sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end of the to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of man and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. Daniel had made this point earlier, back in chapter 2, verse 37 in Ebedi, that God gives kingdoms. He's heard this before. I think he understands what's going on. Nobody would really tell him what it was. But now he's got Daniel before him. He relates this dream, dream him, to him, the stump, the iron, the bronze, the, the, the bands, all of that. And then in verse 18, this dream, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known. But you are able. I think the king had a pretty good idea as he's talking with Daniel. But he asks Daniel anyway. There might be some pride in this. In that he's asking Daniel what to do without really asking him. You know, it's that thing where you don't really want to admit you're wrong, but you want someone to tell you how to make it right. I think that's a little bit in play with Nebuchadnezzar here. I remember one, uh, he was a young man, uh, and he, was, he had done something, something, 
stupid, stupid. Um, and it wasn't as big a deal as he was afraid of in his mind, so I can laugh about it. And we could laugh about it even shortly afterwards, but he came to me and he was terrified. And he was trying to explain this thing that he had done, but not really say what he had done. And so he's kind of hinting around at it, and I was asking him, what? And, and I was making guesses, and, and he, I, I was wrong every time. And finally he looked at me, and he said, are you really going to make me tell you what I did? And I looked at him, and I said, I'm too dense to figure it out, so yes, you're going to have to. I can't figure it out, and he told me. And like I said, it wasn't that big a deal, but, but there is that time where... Do I really have to admit some things here? Just tell me how to make it better without me having to admit this. And I think, then, I think, I think Nebuchadnezzar is at that point right now. He understands he's in the wrong. And without really saying that, he just wants Daniel to tell him how to make it right. This is the second time that God has put a vision in Nebuchadnezzar's head. There was the incident of the fiery furnace. The first time that God put a vision in Nebuchadnezzar's head, Daniel told him what it was. And then interpreted for him. Nebuchadnezzar should certainly understand by this point that God is there. This God of Daniel is controlling all things. He's made it very clear with these visions, very clear with the fiery furnace. And yet, Nebuchadnezzar can't get himself to fully deal with that. He'll deal with Daniel, Daniel, but he doesn't really want to deal with with God. And even Daniel was a last resort. He brought in all the others first. But finally he has to go to Daniel. And it begs the question of what? When God clearly shows us our sin, what do we hide do we hide behind? Because it seems because Nebuchadnezzar is hiding behind Daniel a little bit. What do we hide behind when confronted with our sin? And sometimes, ironically, the more religious we are, the more things we find behind behind. And in this world in which we live, we have many, many outlets that we can can run to. to. And maybe there's one there that will tell us, you know, it's really not all that bad. But we know. We know. Our sin is every bit as bad as we think it is. In fact, it's worse than we think it is. And oftentimes, we'll, we'll, we'll know. We'll know. That God is pointing to something out to us, out to us. and we may look and around, may look around, and wonder what and can, I, what can I hide behind? Much like Nebuchadnezzar, like Nebuchadnezzar I'll, deal with, I'll Daniel, deal with Daniel, but I'm not sure if I want to talk to his God. But praise be to God. Be to God. 
We have a mediator. We can go to not to hide behind behind, but one into into arms. We can run. We can run. In Hebrews, Hebrews, he's described as the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in heaven. We have a Savior, a Savior, who died for our sins. We have Jesus, who is in heaven right now, who tells us if we come to Him with our with our wrongs, He is quick to forgive. And we are made righteous. In Hebrews again, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curse, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And you would like to go to like Nebuchadnezzar and say, and say, go to God, to God with a true, a heart, true heart in full in assurance. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't bring himself to do that. But Jesus, but Jesus invites, invites us to do that, to do that and enter in and enter the throne of grace, throne of grace and confess, and our, confess sins, our sins and hold fast and hold to our confession of hope. And then the writer of Hebrews continues, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love, to love and to good works. That great work, great work of knowing our Savior. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you that we don't we have to run from the truth, but that we can run we can run to the truth. That when we stumble, when we sin, and when it's shown to us, Lord, we have a Savior to go to. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, that we can find forgiveness there, and that we can stand before you, not in fear, but as your righteous children. We thank you, we thank you, and we pray this we pray in this great in name, of, great our name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And then I'll have you stand. We'll turn to hymn 98 and sing verses 1 and 2.